Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. We're in a series called Back to the Back to the Basics, and I want to jump straight into it. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 today, just five verses of scripture. And if you're just jumping in, I actually want to encourage you, I'll use a King James word, beseech you, uh, to go back on our YouTube page and watch the first few messages out of this series. We've been saying that we want to get back to the basics of our faith, the basics of what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's so easy to go after that which is beautiful and brilliant, but sometimes you got to go to the basics before you get to the brilliant. Remember I told you the catalyst for this message was my son, Robert Madu III, my man-child, who I'm taking outside and I'm trying to help him with his basketball game, and we're just trying to work on dribbling. This boy travels all the time on the court, and we're trying to work on dribbling, and he wanted to skip the dribbling to spin the ball on his finger because he saw Space Jam 2 with LeBron James that I had to tell him is LeBron James. I said, son, before you start working on the spin on your finger, let's get the basics first. And the greatest book for that is the book of Romans because the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Rome saying, here are the basics of our faith. So you ready for chapter two? The greatest compliments I'm getting from this series is not like, oh, that was a good message. It's like, Pastor, I actually am reading my Bible before I come to church. Have you actually been doing that? That just makes this pastoral heart clap for joy when you read your Bible at home. Romans chapter two, starting at verse number one. If you're ready to read it, say yeah. If you need some time, say, hold up. Beautiful. Paul says, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? I had to pause right there. How amazing is our God that he is rich in kindness? I know people think they got it going on because they got a lot of money in their bank account. What's in your kindness account? How much you got in your kindness account? Only kind of people that are kind to you? Or can you be nice to nasty people? That's when you know you balling with kindness. That should be a sermon by itself. Anyway, he said uh, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Can you say amen? Verse number two says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. I want to preach today, not long, using this as a title. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. <laughs> oh, no, don't put that one up there. Don't put that one up there. I'll just play it. I'll just play it. Just trying to help the people that know some old school hip hop. Now, put the, put the other one. Put that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only God <laughs> can judge me. I want you to look at your neighbor right in their face and say it with your chest. Say, neighbor. Ooh, only, God only God can judge me. Look at your other neighbor and say it like a Tupac. Say, other neighbor. <laughs> Oh, neighbor, I know you sit next to me, but don't be judging me, because only God can judge me. If you're ready for the word, give him some praise. 
You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Only God can judge me. I'm wondering today if there's anybody in this service that would actually be honest and transparent enough to admit that you have been through some trials. Can I see your hand if you've been through some trials? My goodness, look at all these hands in here today. Keep your hand lifted if you're going through a trial right now. Come on, somebody. You can put it down. Last question. How many of you have actually never been in a courtroom? Can I see your hand? You've never been in a courtroom? Okay. I'm confused because some of y'all are raising your hands talking about <laughs> you've been through some trials, <laughs> but you've never been in a courtroom. I'm confused. Which one is it? <laughs> I, I love it, and I use that as a setup to say church people are funny. It makes me laugh. It makes me laugh because isn't it interesting that because we are in a church and I am a preacher, when I said, how many of you have been, and I set you up to, how many of you have been, you gotta drag that been through some trials, you immediately cognitively assume that I was talking about opposition, that I was talking about challenges, and I was talking about struggles. Your mind did not go to a courtroom, it did not go to an attorney, it did not go to a jury. You immediately thought about opposition, why? Because we are in church and I'm a preacher, and you already know when the preacher says, how many of you been through some trials? He's talking about the stuff that's coming against you. You know why? Because context matters. Context matters. That's going to be important on our journey today as we look at Romans chapter 2, that you understand that the context in which something is said is important to understand what is being said. There is a context to everything. To remove something from its context is to run the risk of misinformation, of disinformation, and it does damage when you don't put things in its proper context. In fact, I want you to say this as an exercise. It's going to help your life. Would you say this? Say, context, context. Matters. matters. Say it one more time and wake up your neighbor. Say, context, context. Matters. matters. Oh, yes. When you're reading something on the internet, context matters. When somebody comes in your ear saying, I heard this about so-and-so, context matters. When somebody throws a scripture in your face and says, the Bible says this, who context matters. You can't just throw a random verse in the air and think that because you threw the verse out, it means something, especially if you extracted that verse out of its context. That verse came from a context. Who was the author of that scripture? Who were they writing to? All of that matters because context is important. Context is critical. How many of y'all have been through a trial? I hadn't been through a trial, and I mean in a courtroom, nor do I plan to. Plan, I don't plan on it. I don't want to be in a courtroom, and if I do have to be in a courtroom, I don't mind. It just depends on what seat I'm in in the courtroom, what position I have in the courtroom. Like, if I'm in the courtroom, I, I don't mind being like, you know, the prosecuting attorney. Ooh, I will do that. I started watching Perry Mason when I was a kid. I'm telling you, I've seen clips of Johnny Cochran. I will be a prosecuting attorney. That's why I wore my little attorney suit today. I'm telling you, I would love to be an attorney to question somebody as they're on the witness stand and say, oh, do you believe that people that do wrong things should be punished? Uh, uh, yeah. Have you ever done a wrong thing? 
Yes, should you be punished? Wait a minute, no, no further questions, Your Honor. And just walk with that little gangster walk and button up your suit. I would love to be a prosecuting attorney. I don't mind being a juror. Oh my goodness, I wish they would call me for jury duty. I'm telling because I'm one of those people, I know you're guilty when you walk in. I can tell. I'm like, oh, look at this. Look at his eyebrows. He is guilty. I can tell. Those are guilty eyebrows. I don't mind being a jury. I wouldn't even mind being a judge. Can you imagine being a judge? I mean, you walk in the room, all rise, and just be there with your little robe on. I'd be one of them crazy judges. I'd be having swimming trunks and J's underneath my robe. They'd be like, he looks so dignified. I'm like, they don't even know what's going on underneath this robe. Wouldn't mind being a judge. The seat I don't want is the seat whoo, on the witness stand. I don't want to be the defendant. Can you imagine to be in a courtroom and having somebody bark stuff at you and ask you where were you in 1996 at 2.18 p.m. on a Tuesday? Do you understand that it is tension to be interrogated? Do you know how much pressure that would put you on under? Do you know there are people who have confessed to crimes that they did not do simply because they could not handle the pressure of interrogation. What in the world would make somebody confess to a crime that they never did? It's because I believe on the soul of humanity is this feeling of being guilty. Every single one of us, there's something at our core. If you're really honest with yourself, you feel guilty. I think we inherited this from our parents, Adam and Eve. You know we all come from the Adams family, amen. Because when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they jacked up humanity. All of a sudden, God comes to them after they have been disobedient and asks them, where are you? It was an interrogation, if you will. And that is when guilt and shame entered the world. And since that time, humanity has always felt guilty. We know that there's something wrong with us. There is something at core that makes us feel guilty. So we don't like being the defendant, but we sure do love being the juror, and we sure do love being the judge. Ooh, don't you know we love being the judge? People love to point fingers at other people. It is so easy to put on your judge's robe and say, I'll tell you what's wrong with you, and I'll tell you what's wrong with you. We love to point fingers because pointing fingers gives you the pleasure of self-righteousness which feels good. Self-righteousness feels a whole lot better than the pain of repenting and checking yourself. I would much rather point out a flaw in you because if I can point out a flaw in you, then I don't have to deal with what's going on in me. So let me play the judge and say, well, you need to fix this because I don't like when eyes are on me asking me tough questions. Ooh, it's gonna be rough in here today. In fact, I have found that the things that we have the tendency to come down on the harshest in other people are actually blues clues of the things in us. Be careful if, you've, if there's certain little sins or certain little issues that for whatever reason, because there's a whole lot of issues, if there's one particular issue that just seems to really get on your nerves, that when you see it in somebody else, an alarm goes off, watch out because the reason the alarm is going off is because it looks familiar. You've seen it before. You gotta be real careful if you're quick to point out, like, oh, I cannot stand her. She is so manipulative. I can tell I knew when she did this and she gave that gift and she said that she was manipulating. Oh, the reason you recognize it so quickly. Oh, could
could be because you are a manipulator yourself. Oh, I can't stand him. He is so arrogant with his prideful self. Look at him, sunglasses on inside the building. Oh, I'm not going to talk to him. He think he all the... Be careful if you notice the pride in everybody else. It could be true that the reason you notice it is because it's in you. What is it about humanity that's so quick to point the finger instead of looking at our What I love about our text in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Apostle Paul puts all of humanity on the witness stand and he says, all y'all are guilty. Every last one of you. He says, you have no excuse. All of humanity is guilty before a holy and a righteous God. There is not one that seeks the Lord. There is not one that goes after him. All of humanity is guilty no matter who you are. That is what Paul is establishing in Romans 1 and 2. He says, we are all guilty. And I know that sounds bad, but you have to understand the bad news before you can embrace the good news. Remember the Apostle Paul spends chapter one talking about the gospel, the gospel which is good news. And I've learned that you can't appreciate the good news until you first accept the bad news. And the bad news is we are all guilty. And until you embrace the bad news, you will not understand the joy of the good news. That's why there's some people that don't wanna come to church because they're like, need a savior for what? I'm good. And as long as you think you're good, you'll never experience the beauty of grace. You got to know you're guilty before you can step into the beauty of grace. I'm going to take my time today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. That's the word right there. Don't die. Pause it right there. Saved a what? A wretch. You can't get the amazing grace until you know you're a wretch. That song doesn't work. That saved a decent person. Like, no. Paul is saying you don't get the good news of the gospel until you know that you are guilty. Understanding you're guilty is what lets you walk into the goodness of his grace. So Paul says all of humanity is guilty. And I love the way Paul, he's so brilliant. I love these three chairs as if I planned this because Paul breaks down the guiltiness of humanity into three categories. He says the godless is guilty, the moralist is guilty, and the religious is guilty. Say it one more again for the note takers. The godless, they're guilty. That's all in Romans chapter 1. Those are the ones who suppress the truth and the wrath of God is being stirred up. Those are the people that you can get to a place that God will give you over, as we talked about last week, to a depraved mind. And you could actually get to the place where you will call evil good and good evil. He says the godless are guilty. And then he says the moralists are guilty before God. And that's in chapter 2. And at the end, in the middle rather, of chapter 2, he also says that the religious are guilty. I don't want to talk about the godless because, you know, the godless, they're like, huh, it's whatever. You know, if you think it's right, it's right. If you think it's good, it's good. Do you. Do. I want to talk about the moralist and the religious because guess who has the propensity to judge more than anybody else? It's the moralist and it's the religious. Those are the ones that have the tendency to be so judgmental. So let's talk about the moralist because they're in the room, possibly, or watching online. 
The moralist, here's the cry of the moralist. I'm not that bad. Matter of fact, here's what moralists love to say. I'm actually a good person. I mean, I'm a good person. I mean, I ain't killed nobody. That's what the moralists will tell you. It's like that, that's their standard. I ain't, I ain't like I killed somebody. I mean, I, I ain't perfect, but I ain't Hitler. That's what the moralist likes to say because the moralist actually believes at their core that they are a good person. The moralist remembers, wait a minute, I'm that dude on the side of the road. I mean, I was so kind. I gave him 325. I could have just rolled up my window and not looked. But wait a minute, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa, but at my core, I am really a good person. And Paul's going, no, you're not. Moralists, you are guilty before God because the moralists would have the tendency to turn up their nose at all the sins that Paul mentioned at the end of Romans chapter one and said, oh my goodness, I have never done any of those things because I am a good person. That is the moralist. It's scary to be a moralist because yes, they believe that there's a right and a wrong, but the problem with being a moralist is they have what I call a comparative narrative. Because they're always trying to convince themselves that I'm a good person. They have a story that they have to consistently tell themselves that they're good. But that story is always contingent upon comparing their goodness to somebody else. Oh, teach this Bible, Robert. it's, it's, It's a comparative narrative. Come on, we have all done it in our lives before. It's where you need to feel superior to somebody else. So you compare their level of sin to your level of sin. And you say, I am not that bad at all. The moralist loves to say things like, yes, I do this, but at least I don't do that. I might have done that, but I haven't done this. In fact, the moralist has a tool. It's a magnifying glass. Because they're constantly magnifying what's wrong with somebody else and comparing it to their issue. And anytime you put a magnifying glass on somebody else, of course it's going to look bigger than your own personal issue. The the moralist will, will say stuff like, I mean, yes, I have a few drinks, but my goodness, at least I'm not a drug addict. My goodness, at least I'm not doing drugs. I mean, yes, I have a few beers, but I'm not, oh my goodness. It's so funny how we will compare. The moralists will even compare the type of drug that they do to somebody else. They'll be like, oh, yes, I take a few prescription pills, but my goodness, it's not like I'm not, I'm not doing meth. Oh, I mean, they will turn up their nose at the person that's doing nothing. Oh my goodness, get away from me. While they are popping prescription pills because their sin is nicer. It's cure. This with them, but it's a slippery slope when you start comparing your goodness to somebody else's badness. It's a slippery slope. Every level of doing so. Oh, yes, I murdered seven people, but my goodness, I'm not a child molester. Do you see how humanity will do it? We will always have this comparative narrative that says, yes, I did that, but I didn't do that. I mean, of course, yeah, I look at porn, but my goodness, I'm not cheating on my spouse. Yes, I'm cheating on my spouse, but my goodness, I'm not, it's not multiple people, at least it's one. And then the person doing multiple people, I mean, yes, there's multiple people. I mean, it's spread out throughout the year. Do you see how crazy this logic is? Because it's always comparing and magnifying. This is, this is what the moralist loves to do. We love to accuse and excuse. <laughs> I'll, I'll accuse you for your behavior, but I excuse mine. It's like when we drive on the highway. 
<laughs> you can't tell on you, I'll tell on me. Isn't it funny that whenever you're driving and you got an emergency and you need to get in the lane, it is all right for you to squeeze through and go past. Because, I mean, come on, I'm going to church, okay? I got to cut in front of y'all. I'm going to the house of the Lord. Oh, but don't let somebody try to cut in front of you. You speeding up your car, not letting them in. And don't let it be a nicer car than yours. Oh, no, uh-uh, stop. Oh, think because you got a nicer car, you can get in front of me. What is that in us? It's the magnifying glass. It's the magnifying glass that says yours is bigger than mine. And Paul says, no moralist, you're guilty. And then around verse number 12, ooh, he gets to the religious. Oh, the religious, they're the worst. Because they now have their record of church attendance, their scriptures, all of that is what is enforcing in their mind, I'm good. I mean, my goodness, I've been coming to church for years. I know all the worship songs. Look at you looking at the lyrics. I know them. <laughs> Hallelujah. You didn't know this song? My goodness. Look, Easter 1998. I just... <sighs> yes. Pastor Robert says the scripture, I can finish it. It's, it's the religious... And perhaps this is the scariest position to be in because, oh my goodness, when you have the name of the Lord to be hateful in, when you're easily looking at people who have sins of the flesh that you can see and you have the sin of a jacked up heart that nobody can see, oh, it's scary. Jesus spent most of his time dealing with people who were religious. Look at them, sinners, people who are jacked up, love, grace, mercy, come on over, let's hang, let's go eat. Religious people, you brood of vipers who warned you about the wrath of God. He can't stand a spirit of religion that thinks it is your work and your goodness that gets you grace. Grace is a gift that has to be received. Your religion nullifies the free grace of God. He can't stand, you know, religious people, they have a tool too. Ooh. Binoculars. See, these are incredible. Because they do just like the magnifying glass. They magnify things, but I love it. They give you the luxury of looking at people from a distance. Because I don't want to get close to you on the back row. So let me look at you through this and judge you and go, my goodness, is that what you wore in the house of the Lord? I mean, I know it's Gillies, but my goodness. Because it's so easy to look at you from a distance. Because if I stand at a distance and look at you and you don't get close to me, you don't see my secrets in. You don't see my thoughts and my intentions and the things that maybe I didn't do them indeed, but I didn't have the courage to do it or I didn't have the opportunity to do it. Or maybe I was scared of the consequence and I have a reputation, but my heart is just as vile and just as wicked. But I stand and I judge. The religious people, you know why people don't come to church? It's not because of these two people in this first seat. It's the people in this seat right here. 
the religious. The religious are why people don't want to come in the house of God. The religious are the reason that people are looking at some people and go, man, I'm glad you're born again, but I wish you wouldn't have been born the first time because you are hateful and mean and nothing about your heart reflects the character or the goodness of God. It is this seat right here that put Jesus on the cross. The religious, the religious are the reason why Matthew chapter 7 is some people's favorite verse of scripture. Oh, we may as well talk about it because Paul says, those of you who do the things that you're judging other people for, do you not think you will be condemned? And the word he uses to judge is actually found in the gospel of Matthew and Jesus says the same words. And I don't even have to, before I put it up, some of y'all gonna know this verse by memory because this is the favorite verse for unbelievers and some believers. They will quote this to you even if they've never cracked open their Bible. It's in Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Some of y'all know it. Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. How many of you have ever heard somebody drop that scripture on you right there? I've heard people who never graced the door of a church say that scripture and the King James Version. They'll say, judge not lest you be judged. Lest. When the last time you said lest? <laughs> don't judge me. Don't, ju I, don't judge or you're going to be judged. That is actually our culture's cry. And it, don't, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. It's interesting to me because this is one of our cultural contradictions. Because in the same breath that we want a culture that says, don't judge me, don't judge me, uh-uh. You do you, I'll do me. How dare you judge me? How dare you tell me that's not good? The same people that say that are the same people that will be quick to cancel you, to say you're done, that are so critical of you. Which one is it? Do you want nobody to judge you? Because if you're going to say nobody judge me, you can't in the same breath cancel people who don't line up with your own ideology of truth. <laughs> Cultural contradiction. Judge not. That should be just what is Jesus saying in that verse of scripture right there? Is Jesus actually saying that we cannot make moral judgments about people? Is that what that verse is? Oh, judge not. That should be judged. That means you can't judge. Is that what Jesus is saying? We can't make moral judgments? Come on, y'all. Let's think about this. I want to issue a warrant for your intelligent arrest. That cannot be what Jesus was talking about. As a matter of fact, if you're saying, don't judge me, you understand that's a judgment. For you to say, don't judge me, you have to be making a judgment that I'm judging. <laughs> so, so it is impossible to not make a moral judgment. That is not what Jesus is saying in this text. Let me just go a little bit further. Can you imagine saying, oh, I don't judge. Who am I to judge? Can you imagine somebody that's beating their spouse? And they ask you, what do you think about this? It's UFC in my house every night. Do you think this is bad? Oh, who am I to judge? That's your house. <laughs> Somebody that's abusing their child? And you find out about, oh, who am I to judge? Are you kidding me? This cannot be what Jesus is saying. Absolutely, we can make moral judgments. Absolutely, we can say, that is wrong. I know you might not want to hear it, but that is not right. That is evil. He was not saying that we cannot make moral judgments. So what is he saying? He's saying it's about how you judge. He's saying there's a difference between being a judge and being judgmental. Let's look at the verse in its context. I think the context will help us. Matthew chapter 7, don't just read the first verse. Keep going when he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck? The, the speck? The, the speck? Why, why do you look at the speck? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's? I see judging is all about which speck 
you're using. He said, why don't you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank, the big old rod that's in your own eye. He says, keep going. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You, here it is, hypocrite. That's the context of the verse. Jesus is not saying that you cannot make a moral judgment. He's talking about people who are judging hypocritically. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying, I'm not saying you can't judge, I'm saying don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge hypocritically. What does it mean to judge hypocritically? When I judge hypocritically, I overjudge your sin and I underjudge my sin. I maximize the view of your flaws while minimizing the view of my flaws. That is judging hypocritically. Jesus says don't judge hypocritically. He is making a delineation between judging and being judgmental. There's a difference. Judging someone is about discerning the truth based on facts. Being judgmental is about finding faults in people. It's about being critical without cause. There's a difference between judging and being judgmental. When I judge, I'm trying to discern what is the truth here. When I'm being judgmental, I'm just trying to find your flaws and find your faults and put it on the gram and maybe start even a very lucrative gossip blog that will tell everybody what's wrong with you. That is judgmental. But he's never saying don't judge. Let's look at it even further. Look at what he says in the same verse of scripture in Matthew chapter 7. Let's go down a few verses. Look at what he says. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. This is Jesus talking. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In the same scripture that he's talking about judging, he says, hey, watch out for sheep, for wolves in sheep's clothing. How can I know you're a wolf? I got to judge the character of who you are, but I'm never called to be judgmental. Is this helping anybody in here today? How do we judge then? How do we judge then? Okay, let me tell you a few more ways not to judge. Don't judge hypocritically. Look at your neighbor and say, don't judge hypocritically. Right, look at them real close. See if they look like a hypocrite. I'm playing, I'm playing. Here's another one, here's another one. Don't judge by appearance. Don't judge by appearance. You laughed at it earlier. We love to be the jury that as soon as some people walk in, uh, guilty. Oh, I don't like the way they walked in the church. I can tell. They're just not a nice person. Isn't it funny the judgments we make by mere appearances? Look at what it says in John chapter 7. This is about judging by appearance. John chapter 7 verse 24. This is Jesus. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And in this superficial culture where we are obsessed with image and looks, you got to be careful if you are judging things by their appearances. This is where discrimination and its evil twin favoritism is always on the rise when you are judging things by their appearance. Have the humility to go, you know what, I don't have all the facts. You know what, maybe I saw that, but maybe there's more to the story than what I saw. I told this first service, I may as well say at this service, I'll never forget, uh, this is years ago, PT and I first got married, and we went to go work out together, 
uh, 24-hour fitness. We're working out together. That's when I learned early in our marriage we can't go work out together because I'm actually going to work out and she's going to like talk and conversate with people. And we're at the gym. I'll never forget it. And we're working out together. And all of a sudden, I see her across the room talking to somebody. She's like, babe, come here, come here. I'm like, okay. And I walk across because I was trying to work out. And she's like, oh, my goodness, this is my friend. We used to work together. You got to meet her. I'm like, hey, how are you? So good to meet you. Okay, I'm going to go back to the crunches. And then I go and I work out and, and we leave. And the next day, I kid you not, the next day, I go back to the gym without her. I'm by myself. <laughs> And I'm working out at the gym, and I notice as I'm working out, my baby sister is in the gym. Just so happened, we're at the gym at the same time. And so I do what every big brother does. I see her on the treadmill, and I come up behind her, and she's on the treadmill, and I turn it up to like level 12, and I smack her on the bottom, and I say, girl, speed up, speed up. She turns around, she's like, oh, quit playing, quit playing. And then we're laughing, we're talking. I'm like, have you talked to mom and dad lady? Da, da, da. And I kid you not, right after we finish talking and laughing, after I have smacked her on the bottom, I turn around in the gym, and staring at me is the girl that was Taylor's friend that I met the next Stay time out. She just turned around. And this is years ago. Wherever you are, if you're watching online, that was my sister. Can you imagine? <laughs> What story she's telling? Yeah, social Dallas. He real social. I saw him at the gym smacking bottoms. <laughs> Be careful. When you're making assumptions, when you just have the appearance of something, and you're laughing. But I shudder to think at how many people you have slandered their name. You have perpetuated a rumor, and you didn't even have all the facts, but you were judging by mere appearances. And if it ever happened to you, your heart would be broken. But it is so easy to throw a stone on somebody that has a platformer because theirs is in the news. When you don't even have all the facts, don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge by appearance. Oh, here's another one. Don't judge by experience. Just because it's been your experience thus far does not mean that is the reality. You see how many people come to this church and have had all kinds of experiences with churches and they will immediately project onto social what they went through in their last church. But just because that was your experience doesn't mean that that is every church. Just because that's what you've had up until this point does not mean it's the truth. You gotta be careful when you start making all statements. Oh man, I like that girl. That girlfriend, don't hang out. You will be with her by yourself for your whole life. <laughs> Yeah, that's how they are, girl. All men. No, not all men. Maybe all men you have encountered up to this point. But all men are not like that. All women are like that. All? All of them are like that. Them? All? You ain't even left the state of Texas. All? You don't even got a passport. All? At least travel abroad before you start making all these assumptions about people. How are you going to be local talking about all? <laughs> <laughs> that one in my nose, but that's funny. <laughs> Be careful when you judge by your experience. How should we judge? I'm so glad you asked. As I land the plane and somebody comes to play softly behind me. How do you judge? I'm so glad you asked. Don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge by appearance. There's always more to the story. Don't judge by your experience. How do I judge? 
Is there a way to judge? Absolutely. Judge with a mirror. Judge with a mirror. I know you want to judge with a magnifying glass because it feels good when your morals look better than somebody else's. I know there's a tendency to judge with binoculars and be on your high horse and have religious superiority, but the Bible is always calling us to judge with a mirror. The whole time I was preaching, I had this mirror face up right by my notes so I'd be forced to look at me as I came back to my notes because this is the most powerful way to judge. Don't judge to look at the sin in somebody else. Always start with you. Always start looking at your sin, at your flaw, not somebody else. That's what Jesus is talking about, the speck in your brother's eye and the plank. The reason it's a plank is because it's bigger when you judge your sin first. Never look at somebody else's sin as bigger and yours as smaller. You always start with a mirror. You know me, I always want to make sure that y'all remember the message. And I almost titled this point, Judge Like a Michael Jackson Song. Remember? I'm looking at the yeah, man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. Some of y'all Gen Z, y'all don't even, do y'all know that song? <laughs> it's a powerful truth. If you want to make a world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the change. I wish he would have shown us how that it's not just looking at myself, it's looking at myself and reminding myself of the good news of the gospel because it's as I look at the mirror and I judge myself first and then I look to somebody else, yes, I might see something in you, but I'm not finding a fault just to find a fault. I am looking at you to see how can I help you? How can I reach out to you? This is what God has called us to do. I don't care who you are. And let me say this right to the camera. God has not given you a ministry to find faults and expose people. If anything, you ought to look at yourself first. And then after you have analyzed yourself, if you see something in somebody else, you ought to be reaching out to help them. You ought to be reaching out to restore them. And the thing that gives you the humility to reach out to somebody else is because you understand your ratchetness. You understand how broken you are. This is how I preach every single Sunday. I'm not standing up here. Don't get twisted on this platform because I got it all together but every time before I come preach to you, I start looking at me and I'm giving you the same bread of life that feeds my soul. That's what the gospel is about. God didn't call you to find the faults in somebody else and not help. Help them. If you're going to judge don't find the fault just to find the fault. Find the fault and help. This is how we are to judge, by looking at ourselves and then by throwing a lifeline to help somebody else. Give us scripture for it, Pastor Robert. I'm so glad you asked Galatians chapter 6. Look at what Galatians chapter 6 says. Please don't miss this. Dear brothers and sisters, 
if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I have church on that scripture right there. What is wrong with the church? What is this to think that we have been anointed and deputized to find the faults in people without helping them? God forbid we ever be a church that shoots our wounded soldiers, that stands judgmental saying, how could you? No, 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 no. I'm looking in the mirror first. And after I look in the mirror, I'm throwing a lifeline to you if I see a fault and still watching myself. Did you see what he said in Galatians? And still watch yourself and make sure you don't fall and bear somebody else's burden. Only God can judge me. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think Tupac said it, saying, hey, you can't judge me, but he can. As if to say God is a cosmic Santa Claus that'll let you do whatever you want. Oh, no, 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 Paul is so clear that the wrath of God is being stored up. And hear me when I tell you, you and I one day will face a holy and a righteous God and he will judge purely. He is the only one who is pure and holy and righteous and he will judge not just your actions, but your words, your thoughts, your intentions and your deeds. And we will all stand before this righteous judge. So don't think only God can judge me as if you get a pass. He is holy. Only God can judge me. Is that good or bad? It depends. Actually reminds me of something that happens every time you pull up to Gillies. If you've ever pulled into this parking lot, you came on a street that used to be Lamar, but is now Botham Jean Boulevard. The reason it's Botham Jean Boulevard is because in 2018, Botham Jean, a young, brilliant accountant, was shot by an off-duty officer while he was sitting in his apartment eating ice cream. And of course, the case made national headlines and was so polarized, people were doing what they do, giving commentary, so much division around it. And I remember after the officer Amber Geiger was sentenced, there was something that happened that made the case garner more national attention. The judge, after she issued the verdict, from the picture, hugged Amber Geiger and gave her a Bible. And people ridiculed this judge. She had to get security, death threats. People said, that's ridiculous. How dare she hug her? How dare she do that? All kinds of people said outlandish statements about her, judging from appearance. Judge did an interview and she explained what actually happened. That moment you saw with her hugging Amber was after she had issued the sentence guilty. And after she issued the sentence, she went to Amber Geiger and said, 
I want you to forgive yourself so that you can live a purposeful life. To which Amber said, do you think I can live a purposeful life? The judge said, absolutely, you can. She said, do you think God will forgive me? The judge who is a believer said, yes, he can. She goes, I don't even know where to start. She goes, I don't even have a Bible. And it was at that moment the judge went to her chambers, grabbed her own Bible, and came back and gave it to her and said, take this. As soon as she received the Bible, she started weeping and said, can I hug you? And she gave her a hug. That was the story behind what happened. She had already said she was guilty, but in that moment, she issued a kindness of humanity and people were upset and saying all kinds of crazy things, but I came to tell you, that is actually the picture of humanity. You need to know that God is a righteous judge and all of us have been given the verdict guilty but I'm so thankful for a savior that didn't just walk away and leave me alone but he put on human skin and said let me come to where you are yes you're guilty but I'm gonna pay the price for your sin how dare you judge somebody else when a God who has been so gracious to you how dare we ever become judgmental when we don't know the full story. How dare we not be the most forgiving, loving people on the planet? Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. And if you're having problems loving and forgiving, you have forgotten what a wretch you are. You've forgotten that we're all guilty before a holy God. Only God can judge me but he is a righteous judge and a beautiful savior at the same time. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to your feet all over this place today. I'm gonna ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we would come into an awareness of who you are. Yes, only God can judge me because he is a righteous judge, but he is also a loving Savior. God, let our hearts live with that reality, with that tension, that you are a righteous God, you are holy, but you are also a loving Savior. You are full of truth, but you're also full of grace. Let us live in that tension. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.